Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downing. Welcome into another episode of Light the Lamp here on Duck Stream. And with the ongoing Stanley Cup playoffs, fans get to see what's happening on the TV broadcast, but they don't know what's going on behind the scenes. So for today's episode, we want to take you behind the scenes to one of the brains behind the operation, the lead director for the NHL on TNT, Paul Hemming. Paul, thank you so much for fitting us in your busy schedule. How are you doing today? Uh, good, Alexis. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to join you. Um, I'm just at home in North Carolina, kind of decompressing um, after uh, four games this past week. Um, our crew started in uh, New Jersey. We did the Rangers-Devils games one and two, and then we did Carolina and the Islanders uh, three and four. So I'm sitting at home uh, waiting to see where I will go uh, based on the outcome of tonight's Carolina-Islander game. Yeah, it's certainly been a really exciting playoff so far. And I can imagine that you're starting to rack up those travel points too after all this season. <laughs> yeah, making Delta Diamond or whatever shouldn't <laughs> be a problem. Yeah. Well, I want to start too by going through a little bit of your background. So for fans listening, they can get to know you a little bit before we go into all the TV side of everything. But where are you from? Where did you grow up? And why, why are you in hockey now too? Uh, well, if you haven't already noticed by my accent, uh, I'm Canadian. Uh, so <laughs> I, I grew up uh, in a place called London, Ontario, uh, which is uh, two hours south of Toronto and two hours north of Detroit. So uh, as a kid growing up, um, you know, as a Canadian, my parents put me on skates when I was four years old, uh, whether I liked it or not. And so I was playing organized hockey at five. Um, and so hockey was my life. Now, growing up, everything was about hockey. Um, Every, you know, it was hockey cards, ball hockey, uh, you know, uh, youth hockey, amateur hockey, hockey tournaments, Saturday night hockey on TV. I couldn't get enough hockey. It was 24-7. So, uh, it, you know, um, my passion is hockey, always has been. Um, and so I played it um, at an organized level right up until it was time to go to college. And at that point, I realized I wasn't going to get drafted to the NHL. So I better come up with a plan B. Um, so I did. Um I had a, in a, or my 11th grade year, we had a guest speaker that was a sports commentator. And at that point, I was like, wow, it had never even dawned on me that there was like actually like maybe potentially career opportunities around the sport of hockey. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so I kind of quickly regrouped and realized that I wanted to somehow be involved in that. And it was sports broadcasting was an awesome way to get into it. So uh, when I completed high school, um, I moved to Toronto, uh, Ontario, and I studied um radio and television arts there for three years at, at the time was the premier institute a place called Ryerson. And uh, with it being in Toronto, it was the headquarters for all the networks um, for sports television and, and other television in Canada. So um, I quickly began reaching out for internships and stuff and uh, was lucky enough to get one um, at Hockey Night in Canada, which um, for those who are not familiar, uh, it's kind of like the Monday Night Football of, uh, or Sunday Night Football of, of hockey in Canada. And so I started as an entry-level position, making $50 a night, running coffees to the TV truck or towels and Gatorade to players who'd been picked for interviews and stars. And so I really started at the ground and uh, worked my way up from there. Did you always want to be behind the scenes or did you have a desire to be in front of the camera at any point? That's an excellent question. <laughs> it started out, I wanted to be on camera. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, 
to be there, to be able to interview the players, interact with the players, be the sort of the face that was, you know, presenting. Uh, but I quickly learned um, from my early days, even as a runner um, on those early uh, Hockey Day Canada shows, um, one of one of my responsibilities was to take a, a tray of like six coffees out to the TV trucks for all the people that were working out there that couldn't get out. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I get this the first time I ever did. I get this tray of six cups of coffee and I've got the sugars and the creamers and the stir sticks. I think I've got it all buttoned up. I come out of the green room and I'm like, I look around. I'm like, I don't even know where the TV truck is. Like, I don't even know where it parks. I don't even know like anything about it. So I walked up and I found I found an usher there and I said, "Do you guys know where the TV truck is?" And they pointed to the floor and there was like these all these strands of cable. They said, "Just follow the cable, kid. It'll take you to the TV truck." So I came out. I walked out. You know, I got out to the TV truck and knocked on the door and they opened it. I like, walked in and it was like a whole different world. It was like mm-hmm. seeing Oz from behind the curtain. You know, to see the producer and the director and and all the chaos, controlled chaos that goes on inside the TV mobile during a game. And um, at that point, I was like, wow, you know, this could be pretty good. And, and as I as I spent more time there, I, I gravitated to to being behind the scenes and, and my, my days of being a commentator uh, kind of dissipated from there. But yeah. <laughs> How valuable is it to learn all those different positions behind the scenes to to kind of decide, you know, what exact direction you want to be in direction directly? Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a great point. Like it's, uh, you know, it's great to have a general knowledge of everything, because when you when you're put into a, a role of a director, which is a leadership role on the crew, um, you know, you're sort of expected to know what people are bringing to the table and and how they can contribute and how you know, and, and how to put them in the best position to have success. So a little bit of general knowledge is good about all of that. And um, I mean, I went on to, you know, be a PA and an AD and I worked my way up mm-hmm. the ladder. So I did get a, a you know, as, as from a production side anyway, I did get a really good taste of like all the different positions leading up to what we call the front bench where the producer and the director sit. So I did it, but you're right. Like it does make you, it does give you a chance at better success rather than you just being plugged in and, and being sort of clueless to how everybody on the crew, you know, works. So you talked about your passion for hockey and it being your life. What team did you follow growing up? Um, so, uh, where I lived, London, London was exactly the halfway point between Toronto and Detroit. And there was a street in London called Adelaide street, which was a major artery, which ran North South. And sort of, if you were like, if you were like East of Adelaide, um, you cheered for Toronto. And if you were kind of West, you cheered for Detroit. So um, when I was a little kid, when I asked my dad to take me to my first NHL game, um, I asked him for tickets to go see the Red Wings. So, mm. I mean, I was inundated with Leafs, Leafs, Leafs everywhere growing up. All my friends were Leaf fans and stuff, but I kind of took a different uh, tact. And um, I've been a lifelong Detroit Red Wings fan. First game I ever saw Wayne Gretzky playing was at Joe Louis Arena. First time I ever saw Mario Lemieux play was at Joe Louis Arena. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm definitely a diehard Wings fan. So going from the Joe to now LCA, I'm assuming you've been there and have seen what a Im- immensely large facility that place is too. <laughs> it's awesome. I mean, you know, I, I still love the Joe for all the memories and stuff that, you know, that, that were there. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, Little Caesars Arena is, um, is, is, is state of the art in terms of buildings and not just for NHL, but for any, any event, whether it be sports or entertainment, mm-hmm. um, it's, it was built with TV in mind. The camera positions are, were there with TV in mind, the, the way that where the trucks park and the connections and all that and everything. It is really, truly plug and play. And, uh, you know, the lighting is great. And, uh, yeah, it's just, a, you know, I, it's, it's a pleasure to do games there. Uh, aside from the fact that I, you know, I have to put my pom-poms away when I, <laughs> I do Red Wing games, but yeah. 
Well, at least being behind the scenes, you can kind of have it a little bit <laughs> under the table. A <laughs> little bit. <laughs> well, you mentioned being in Chapel Hill now, and you were a part of the Bally Sports and Fox Sports Carolina organization for three years. Um, you know, what was that journey like going and being on more of the team side and getting in with, you know, the Carolina Hurricanes? Yeah, it's a big difference. I, uh, my experience in Canada was at TSN and Sportsnet, and those are both national broadcasters up there. So until, I mean, I, I, I did a fill-in role in San Jose in the 2017-18 season with the NBC Sports Sharks crew. So that was my first taste of regional television and being with a team. Um, so that was really kind of the first taste of it. I was filling in for a director who was uh, who'd take a paternity leave there. And I ended up doing 25 games with the Sharks that season. And, and really, um, I, I, that was the foundation for me even being able to work down here and have success. Because first of all, like TV is different in Canada than it is down here. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we were doing regional shows in San Jose with as many facilities as we were sometimes doing network shows in Canada. So um, it's treat it's treated, you know, it's on a much larger, much grander scale down here. And and there was some things I had to really kind of cut my teeth on down here, just even basic things like terminology, you know, like what do you call graphics? What do you, you know, how do you, you know, you know, direction, directional instructions and stuff all in, in Canada are different than they were down here. So I got 25 games to kind of cut my teeth on it. Uh, in San Jose. And then 20, the next season, I was offered a position uh, with Carolina Hurricanes on, on what was then Fox Sports, um, then turned into Valley Sports. But being with a team is amazing, right? I mean, you're inundated, you eat, sleep, breathe at 24-7. To be on the charter with the team, to be in the team hotel, to be on buses with players and stuff, like it just allows you to sort of soak in it and allows you to be better at your job. You know, on a network level, you know, you may do two teams that you're not familiar with at all. And and to be able to properly do my job, I do have to know everything about it. I have to know power play right. situations, only kills, who's on what, what coach coaches the D, who coaches the, you know, the forwards. Like to be able to do that, you, you need to know all that minutia. And, uh, you know, and, and when you live, when you're with a team, it's just, it's second nature. So it allows you to really have success in terms of, of that. Um, so, you, you know, my prep was really only prepping for the visiting team, which you know, I would see once or twice or three times a year, depending on who it was. So, um, yeah, I really enjoyed my time of being with a team. Um, you know, um, I, I won't lie, like, you know, obviously I, I became a bit of a Carolina Hurricanes fan or a Caniac as they're called. And um, I still am. I live 20 minutes from the rink and I'll be glued uh, to, to the TV every night that they play. So, yeah. I can imagine that this year's stadium series was pretty special for you as well, too. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, that was something that had been, what, two or three years, I think, delayed in the making. And, uh, you know, um, the hockey fan base in North Carolina, uh, although it's not massive, it is very uh, rabid. Oh, let's leave it at that. I mean, uh, you know, there's there's a fan base that, um, you know, eats, sleeps and breathes hockey down here as well, too, which is kind of unique in this situation, right? We were kind of in the major college part of America, right? With UNC, NC State, Duke, Chapel Hill, you know, Wake Forest, everybody is so, you know, but there's 20,000 crazy Caniacs that show up at every game. And they really outdid themselves that day at Carter Finley with, you know, over 53,000 or whatever it was. And uh, it was quite a spectacle. And um, I don't think it'll be, I don't think we'll have to wait that long before uh, Raleigh gets another outdoor game for sure. But, you know, it was the perfect 
a balance of, um, you know, NC State was a major player in, in, in that game as well, mm-hmm. too, right? Not only just the stadium was there, but, you know, it really they really embraced a college kind of tailgate atmosphere. And, I was going to uh, say, that tailgating was, looked awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it was. You know, in the way that, you know, like the yeah, Washington Capitals, they showed up on school buses and got off with varsity jackets and stuff and footballs. And it looked like, you know, it was looked like they were going to a college football game. And, you know, uh, it just, it was, they embraced, you know, the, the whole area embraced it, the NHL. Um, the Canes, uh, NC State, the Capitals, they all embraced it to make it, you know, I, I mean, I've been a part of, I don't know, over a dozen outdoor games in my career. But, you know, um, you know, again, putting my pom-poms away, that was an unbelievable event, to a spectacle. And I'm certainly proud of the way that it worked out down here. Now, I'm curious, too. So when you were with the Hurricanes, you were there during the years that COVID affected the NHL as well, too. How did that affect the way the TV broadcast was produced? Yeah, so instead of uh, traveling and doing road games, um, we were doing all our games from home, uh, our, our home arena. We had a television production mobile parked at the side of PNC Arena. And our home shows would be normal, like in terms of no, I mean, normal in terms of the fact of facilities and execution, certainly not normal by the fact there were no fans there. The year you play, you know, the fans were cardboard cutouts that they were putting in the stand, <laughs> but literally. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it just, uh, the road games were, were quite difficult because, um, that was a way that, you know, none of us, not, not really any of us, we were kind of, none of us were really familiar with that. It was really kind of a trailblazing era of broadcast production. And, uh, you know, it was very strange to be sitting in a truck in Raleigh, you know, with the Canes being in, you know, well, we'll, we'll use the bubble as example. They played out of the Toronto bubble mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, it was just really weird to, you know, be on a. Uh, on a phone line with two cameramen back there that, you know, and, and like totally disconnected from the game, the atmosphere, um, you know, any feeling of it really just really kind of felt like you were just sort of doing the shows in the edit suite. And it it really became hard because uh, I do believe that, you know, to do this job properly, you really do need to be on site. You need to soak in it. You need to walk around the rink. You need to be able to, you know, see unique positions or unique landmarks like, you know, Stanley Cup banners or retired number banners and stuff. If the commentators go there is my job as the director, it's response, my responsibility to get those shots. And if I'm not in the venue or I haven't walked that mile, um, it's really difficult. So those COVID years, the, the last couple of seasons, you know, um, in Carolina for me were really tough because we, you know, it was no atmosphere of the home games. And then the road games were just felt like you were just doing them in an edit suite. And uh, it was, uh, you know, we all got good at it because we had to, but uh, it certainly was not the preferred way of doing shows. And now during COVID, you started a podcast inside the truck with Steve Lansky. How did that idea begin? <laughs> You've done your homework, Alex. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, so my friend Steve, uh, uh, we've been, we've known each other uh, since like, you know, back in my college days. And he was a producer, one of the producers at Hockey Night in Canada, the show that I worked on when I started in the industry. And we just remained lifelong friends. Steve's a, a massive um, sports nut, but he's also, you know, he's, he produced Stanley Cup finals. Um, he was the youngest producer to believe to produce the Stanley Cup finals. So he's got credentials. Um, and he would always, he was always after me to start a podcast. He's like, we got to start a podcast. You know, you know, people would be interested in this mm-hmm. stuff. And I was like, nobody's interested, Steve. Like, <laughs> you know, you think they are because well, we're way too close to it. Nobody's going to listen. Like, you know, like it's going to, you know, and uh, so he kept working me, working me, working me. And then finally when this pandemic hit and the games were shut down and I was like pacing, you know, holes through my carpet at home, I was like, <laughs> I reached out to him and said, Hey, what about this podcast idea? I don't know anything about podcasts. 
can you just like walk me through what's your vision? How do you want to handle this? And, and uh, you know, you, you know, you quarterback it and he did, and we ran with it and we had a really good thing um, for, for, you know, you know, for, I don't know how many episodes, almost 60 episodes or whatever, but um, it was awesome and had, had a blast doing it. And we, and he was right. I mean, we didn't, our, you know, we didn't have like massive audience ratings, but we had a really tight knit group of listeners that lived and died on us dropping that podcast every two weeks. And so we had fun with it and it was very cool for me. Um, you know, I got to strike up some relationships with, um, you know, uh, colleagues that in other, if I wasn't for the podcast, I probably never would have met, you know? So, um, in terms of, you know, um, doing a little bit of networking and stuff, it was good. Uh, but, uh, it was, it was a labor of love. We didn't make any money off of it. It was just truly two sports TV guys passionate about what they did. And, uh, and creating content. So we had a lot of fun with it. Uh, unfortunately, when I took my job at um, what was Turner Sports, but now WBD Sports, um, just due to, you know, obviously compliance issues and stuff that kind of, it's on the back burner for now, but it's not dead. It's still alive. Uh, it's available on all the platforms. So uh, <laughs> if you're interested in some really good behind the scenes stories, it's definitely worth checking out. Well, I definitely listened to some of the episodes and I enjoyed it. Just hearing you guys' perspectives on some different topics. And uh, I, I also was wondering too, did that kind of give you a different, I wouldn't say appreciation, but a different understanding of maybe, you know, how the talent side is too? Oh yeah, absolutely. For sure. Um, you know, yeah, you know, I mean, we, you know, we got a chance to speak some fairly elite level talent mm -hmm. in American, in the American sports broadcasting industry. And, and just to see like, you know, um, how they operate and, and, and what, you know, and how they, you know, um, grew into their shoes as well too like we talked to michelle tafoya um and uh you know she uh she was she didn't even start in sports right mm -hmm. and so to hear her story to trace her story back to her roots and stuff as well too like yeah it certainly just it gives you an, a definitely a, a new appreciation of, of you know of, of the level that these um people have climbed to and that they produce at every night it, it was very interesting to see that you know you just turn on your tv you see them like man that person's really good it's like but there's a lot that goes into it for them to get to that level so yeah who are some of your favorite or the best announcers that you've gotten to work with in your career um you know uh i you know basically when you work in sports tv sort of like the play-by-play -play person has always sort of been like the pro broadcaster and the analyst has always been like the ex-player right normally that's sort of the way that it works um so like it's been awesome like i have so many i've, I've had so many awesome colleagues to work with um and just at, just for different reasons that i like them you know um you know i love the ex-players because they always have great stories or whatever and the stories are never ending you'll be on a road trip somewhere and they'll you know, be telling you, you know, about what happened in the locker room after they won the Stanley Cup or whatever. So I can, I mean, it doesn't matter how long I've been in the business. I never get tired of hearing those stories as well, too. Um, you know, uh, just uh, if you make me pick a couple, um, you know, uh, people that, you know, that, uh, that, that our audience would, would know for sure, John Forsland, I had a chance to work with him for three years in Carolina. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, um, he's phenomenal. Um, I mean, he could have ran for the governor of North Carolina. He was here. He was just so popular. He was literally the face of the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, and he's just an ultimate professional. And he, you know, he, 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 you know, he made you be on your toes and you had to bring your A game every night with him because, um, you know, that's just, you know, that was the level of execution that was expected and demanded. And so he made me better for sure. Um, now I work, um, with, uh, you know, Kenny, Kenny Albert, um, mm -hmm. and, uh, Ed, Eddie Olchek and Keith Jones on the Turner uh, TNT games. And those three are like an unbelievable crew to be with. I mean, you know, 
yeah, couldn't meet three nicer guys. You couldn't meet three more professional guys and you couldn't meet three guys that have like unbelievable careers worth of stories as well too. So I'm really enjoying my time with them, uh, at, uh, on the TNT shows. And that brings me to my next question too, about being with TNT and getting that call and deciding to make that jump back onto more of the national side. How was that decision for you? Um, you know, uh, weighing all the things that we had talked about, like, I love being, I love my time in Carolina. I love being with the team and stuff, but, um, you know, I did grow up sort of in a network with it, sort of in that, I want to say network pedigree, cause that mm-hmm. sounds very uh, cocky, but, but, the, but that was my, my experience as a director doing NHL games in Canada for both national networks was at the network level. So, um, you know, when I came down here and I worked for the sharks and I worked for the canes, I kind of thought that my chance really at doing any kind of network NHL, uh, was over, you know, and I was fine with that, you know, like I, I would continue to, you know, do, I would have done the Carolina hurricanes package until the day they told me they didn't want me to do it anymore. But then when Turner came and approached and said, you know, we'd really like you to be the lead director on an NHL coverage. And to, you know, first of all, it was a chance for me to do network again. Second, it was a chance to do a Stanley cup, which I had never, have never done before. I've only ever done a conference final, um, in the NHL world. And, uh, and then also to be a part of a TV package, a network TV package from day one is something that like really nobody in our business, you could really very rarely if ever get a chance to do that, right. you know, to be, to, 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 to create it from the egg, you know, normally you show up at a network and they hand you the package. It's like, here's what we've got. And here's, you know, but to, you know, when they're coming to you saying, how should we do this? How do we do that? You know, we're leaning on you. What's you're the expert, like, what should this look like or whatever? Yeah. You know, I really, you know, I really, I really dove into that and it was you know, um, that was just sort of the icing on the cake for me to make the move back to uh, to doing those network shows. So when I go to a Ducks game, I walk down the ramp and I see the big trucks there. And I know that you guys have a set day to set everything up, but I don't know that much about how that is and all the personnel that are behind the scenes and the staff and everything. So what goes into a set day when you're getting ready for a game for TNT? Uh, so... Uh, our camera, our camera complement just for alone is in the upwards of the twenties and the thirties. So mm-hmm. even just to be able to place all our cameras and cameras, there's only one small part of the broadcast um, that takes almost an entire day to do that. You know, um, especially in an arena like Anaheim, where you know they might have unique camera positions, or you're trying to put a camera, maybe say where there hasn't been a camera maybe ever, or you're trying to invent a position. <laughs> um, you know, that just takes a lot of work. There's no way you. Um, it, there's no way we could come in on one day and set shoot and strike our show. It's just so big. I mean, mm-hmm. what we, what we roll out every Wednesday for our shows is, is basically the sort of the equivalent to what previous networks had done in a conference final situation. Mm-hmm. So it was, it's a lot of, it's a lot of resources. So really, I mean, the truck parks super early in the morning, um, you know, a skeleton crew arrives, um, you know, we start plugging in the cameras, positioning the cameras, building platforms, running cables, running, putting out effects microphones, making sure that all the cameras are faxed out and synced up and that, you know, the pictures look good and that all the audio is getting back to the truck where we need it. And I mean, really, um, you know, I sh- I'll show up around noon or one o'clock and I'm there till six or seven, but the technicians are there as early as the truck parks, which some mornings is seven o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and they're till like almost midnight. So there's super long days and there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the, t- the scenes to be able to even get, to get us to be able to bring the audio and videos to the viewer at home. You talked about how it helps so much to be on site, to see these arenas and see the the scenery around to help your creative side, really going into a broadcast. But what are some of your favorite shots that you like to use during a game? Um, 
I think that the, the, the biggest complaint that you hear with people watching hockey, say for the first time is like, I don't know where the puck is, you know, like it's so fast. Like yeah. I just see all these like little ants standing all over the place. I don't really know what's happening. So it's kind of like my, my, my job is to put the viewer at home on the couch in the best seat, say at Honda center. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and so how do I do that? Well, hockey is such a fast sport and there is really, you know, either there, there is a reason why game cameras, you see it like 85% of the night is because it is truly the camera that's capturing the best angle that everybody needs to see. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm not doing my job if I don't show the speed and the physicality of the NHL game. And so for that, I really like to use, um, the, um, the tighter cameras. So there's a camera that's a tight follow uh, camera, as we call it, and it, it follows the players in the park, like in a head to toe framing as opposed to that wide angle that you see on game framing. There's also the corner ice corner handhelds that also shoot everybody head to toe and they keep and that. And there's also another robotic camera that goes right over the penalty box. They call it a speed shot or a speedy. And so for me, like my bread and butter to be able to show the speed and the physicality is to get to those cameras low and tight when you can, when it works, you know, mm-hmm. not, in, not, at, not, in, you know, I call it, it's like, you know, being like, it's a, it's a calculated gamble as to when you're going to cut off the game camera. And when you do, I mean, my philosophy is that anytime you cut off that game camera, it better be for an impactful reason. It better have given the viewer a, a, a moment that they would not normally have seen, you know, because sure, on a show like, you know, our shows on Wednesday night, I've got like 26 cameras that could, I could be machine gun cut every single one of them to air, but it's not doing the game or the viewer or, you know, justice. So for me, I like to show the speed with those low cameras in the corner and, and, and through the neutral zone, just to, you know, give a sense of if you've never been to a game, just that, you know, hockey is the fastest sport on the planet played by humans. Mm-hmm. In a game that the energy ramps up a lot and there's a lot of things happening, whether it's between players or just the energy in an arena, does that change the rhythm that you have within the show? Um, in terms of like, well, the game's going on or game flow, as we'll call it, not so much because mm-hmm. I wouldn't cut to those cameras you know, to, to again, to take, you know, take, I wouldn't cut away from a moment of action on the ice for that, but certainly on a whistle, like, you know, we, we just, you know, <clears throat> game three and four or game three on the Island, we did, um, you know, it was the first home game ever at us, uh, UBS arena for the Islanders and the crowd was, was into it. And, you know, it was a very tight game till late in the third period. And then the Islanders scored four goals in a row and the lid blew off that place. And so for me now, my cutting was like, okay, I want to get to crowd. Mm-hmm. So like, okay. Puck goes in the net, goal score, goalie, crowd, 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 goal score, get to replay. Like, you know, because you want to be able to, again, do, 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 you know, by doing, you know, to do your job well, you need to put the guy at home in the arena and the atmosphere, especially during Stanley Cup playoffs, there is nothing better than arena atmosphere at a home team, you know, especially when they get rocking and rolling. Um, I mean, I live, you know, Carolina, I will say is one of the loudest houses in the league. Um, and uh, it was a lot of fun at, at game uh, three at UBS as well, too. Like there's, it's a huge part of it, Alexis. Mm-hmm. And as a director, I'm not doing my job if I don't incorporate that. As far as your directing style, was there anyone as you went through your career that really helped you develop that? Or did you kind of take pieces from different people? Uh, I, I was very lucky. I had a mentor. Um, I had a, a producer mentor and a director mentor. Uh, my director mentor is a, a, a longtime uh, network TV director in Canada, uh, Rick Chisholm. And uh, Gord Cutler was my producer. And they, they trained me. They took me from like eight. I wasn't even 18 when I started working with them. And they trained me, basically. And, and uh, you know, um, I, I mean, that's where I, I, I honed my craft, learning, working with and sitting behind it, watching 
um, those two guys. And even to this day, this far down the road, I'll still reach out to them and just say, Hey, you know, like, um, uh, because they, I really t- truly believe that everything I am is because of those two. Now, the TNT broadcast has some of these marquee events in the NHL. I mean, the Winter Classic this year and the Stanley Cup final. What is something, at least on the Stanley Cup final end, that fans could be expecting to see, whether it's a new thing or something that you guys want to try out? Um, I mean, you know, in terms of uh, it broadcast innovation, I mean, we, we uh, you know, there's really not a, there's really not a lot that sort of hasn't already been done. Uh, mm-hmm. But one thing that we're super proud about is um, last year in the conference final, we unleashed shallow depth ankle cams. And for those viewers that didn't see it or not familiar with it, um, instead of a regular broadcast camera, we were using actually cinematic camera boxes um, that they used to shoot movies in mm-hmm. and uh, they had a shallow depth lens on it. So basically what it would be was the player, the players and the linesmen in the, in the T waiting for the puck drop were in perfect focus and everything else was blown out of focus. And it really, it really was, it was the, 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 the images were amazing. Like the, the moment, the moments last year, we, uh, we, un- we unveiled them in Colorado at the Western conference final. And uh, it went viral. People were like, <laughs> they'd never seen anything like it. It actually looks so good. It looks fake. Like mm-hmm. it looked, it looked like some, like looked like a computer animation of the face off only it was in real time. And so I, I really, it was really to do those first couple of games in the conference final last year. I mean, I overused them. I, I guilty <laughs> as charged of that, but I got caught staring. Like I would mm-hmm. like, I'd be watching to stare at the face off, puck it at the ice and be like, wow. But meanwhile, it's back to the point. It's almost to the net. And I'm like, man, that's a great shot. Like, you know, everybody, everybody else seeing this, like it was amazing. Right. So yeah, we'll, 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 you know, uh, we'll have a, you know, we're always pushing, um, to to unveil something, unleash something new. Um, I'm, I'm, you'll definitely see the shallow depth ankle cams again um, there, and we may have a couple of other tricks up our sleeve, but I, uh, um, I unfortunately I can't reveal them on this call. You'll have to tune in in the second two weeks of June to figure out what we're doing. <laughs> Going back to the Winter Classic last year, were you a part of the one that was in Minneapolis? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, that was my first one for Turner, yes. Was it cold in the truck as it was outside? Because actually I was there as well too. And it was even cold in the press box. I remember. (laughs) Yeah. um, It it was, uh, it was, I mean, I'm from Canada, so Mm -hmm. I've, I've experienced cold before, but uh, that was OMG cold. And uh, yeah, I'll never forget. Like, uh, you know, I, I, I flew in like late at night the day before the first day I was supposed to be on site. And so I took an Uber from the airport and I got out in my eight, eight foot, walk from the uber to inside the hotel i was like yeah it wasn't that bad and so i'm like oh, the next morning i wake up I'm, like, I'm gonna walk to uh i'm gonna walk to the stadium and so i got outside and i made it like two blocks and i couldn't breathe anymore <laughs> yeah like i was like having it was so cold i could i dodged into like an office way and i kind of snaked my way through to a starbucks and then i got a starbucks and i just ordered an uber from there the uber picks me up i go yeah we're going to the target field and he's like that's like three blocks i'm like i know i'm not walking it's way too cold <laughs> So, so anyway, uh, so we, yes, it was bitter, bitterly cold. I mean, we had like some technical failures as well too, right? Just because, you know, gear cables, wiring cameras, microphones, they're not supposed to work in that kind of extreme cold. So we had some issues there. I will say in the truck, it was nice and warm and cozy. Um, so I had to be very careful about how I, what I said on intercom to the other people who were outside in that ridiculously <laughs> cold weather freezing, you know? Uh, but yeah, no, I was nice and toasty and I would just turn around and, you know, make myself a Keurig when I needed it. And I was all like, you know, it was awesome, but yeah, no, it was, uh, it, it was, uh, not as cold in the truck, but certainly the technicians were, um, were, they were the heroes. 
uh, for us that day for sure. Did you have to like heat up the cables or how did you keep them working? Um, no, I mean, the cables, the runs were the runs and they were outside in extreme elements. And they like worked. I said, we did have some, <laughs> some of them did. We did have a couple of malfunctions, um, and you know, which is understandable. Mm-hmm. We had a frozen headset. Um, we had a player headset, uh, in, uh, one of the dugouts that we were going to use for, um, you know, player walk-off interviews and it just completely died. So, um, yeah, so just stuff like that. Um, but I mean, I think overall, given the extreme weather circumstances, we got away very lucky. I mean, um, we didn't we didn't lose very much gear. And uh, I mean, the pictures uh, from that day, that night were just, you know, are they're ingrained in my brain, like just the, the frozen breath of and the heat coming off the players heads. And we had a we had one of we had an RF camera up in the crowd and there was like these people had their beers on the rail and the camera guy said, pick up your beer. And they did. They picked them up and they poured they turned them upside down and not it. No, it just was frozen beer. Right. It was just like those are the images that, you know. You know, you would expect, right, in Minnesota, mm-hmm. outdoor hockey, like, it was awesome. We, re- we really, uh, everybody hit a home run that day. Going from last year's Winter Classic to this year at Fenway Park, did you kind of take anything that you learned from that one into this year that you wanted to incorporate in the, a different setting, too? Uh, you know, the biggest thing is... Um, it was just sort of the venue change, right? I mean, it was, yes, they were both baseball stadiums, but Fenway Park is an iconic landmark stadium. And, um, you know, uh, and and they really, NHL really embraced the fact that it was a hockey game and a baseball stadium. They didn't try to like, just, you know, they didn't, they, they, they dove into it basically and everything was a baseball theme. So our whole mantra, our whole philosophy for that show was to embrace that you're in a baseball stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, uh, you know, the, the toughest thing about doing outdoor games is really visual from a director standpoint is being able to show the link of the crowd to the playing surface, mm-hmm. because most times it's so far from the crowd. Right. You know, you do a game at Honda Center and fans are like right up on the glass. Right. That's one thing. But when you put a football in, you know, if you could say, you know, we did a stadium series Tampa and Nashville last year. And it was a hockey rink in the middle of Nissan Stadium, you know, in a 90, 80, 90,000 football, football stadium. It's really hard to link the two. And they're both very important. So for me, you know, I thought it, we, I thought we did a really good job um, at, at, in Minnesota at Target Field. But in Fenway, the way they reconfigured the rink, because typically in the NHL's outdoor venues for baseball, they put the rink right across the pitcher's mound. So with one end of the rink at the third base bag and the other at the first base bag. Here, they wanted to feature the green monster in left field so they they they, they shifted the rink with had to have the green monster as the backdrop which allowed uh, some of our cameras to literally be really in the crowd so i really felt like that we did a lot a much better job with tying the crowd into uh into where the players were and it didn't make it seem like there was this ice rink in the middle of a great moat you know so mm-hmm. um that was that you know was, that was one of our our game our goals uh, for our game plan heading in, it was mission accomplished. The the images that day at Fenway were were amazing. They, they, really, they were. really were. Yeah. yeah. As far as other venues around the NHL, what are some of your favorites? Um, I'm uh, as like a as like a as a diehard like life for NHL fan. Like I I like the older places, mm-hmm. you know, that has more history. So you know, as we move along in years here, and you know, some of the you know 
the original six rinks are, are you know, been torn down and mm-hmm. et cetera. Like I, I'm, I'm more partial, like even as quirky as they are, and maybe they won't be great for TV, but I really kind of like the older, the older style arenas, um, you know, into the eighties and nineties, they started building these cookie cutter arenas where they'd all kind of look the same, you know? Um, and you really kind of lost, lost that. So like, for me, like favorite rinks I've worked, I had, I've the been blessed to work in were like Montreal Forum, Boston Garden, Toronto mm-hmm. Maple Leaf Gardens, Chicago Stadium. I mean, those for me, like those were always my favorite ones. Um, you know, now there's different reasons for liking to to do games in places like because now we talk go back to like we talk about crowd. Now for me, it's about crowd and energy and atmosphere. What's that like in a building um, as opposed to like physically, like how long the building's been there and how many memories and stuff are there. But um, yeah, the old barns are always my favorite. But I mean, so, you know, uh, you know, regular season, great places to do hockey, always Boston, always MSG, um, Carolina, you know, is really, I mean, I go back to Carolina, they're, they're awesome as well, too. Um, you know, Seattle was surprisingly really cool. And Vegas, you know, when they're playing well, that place is, is a gong show to do games in as well, too. So, um, yeah, those, those are those are some of my favorite places to do games. But, you know, um, you know, in my heart of hearts, it's the all the old buildings because they were just so quirky. And now that you are in your second season with TNT coming down in the Stanley Cup playoffs, I also want to congratulate you because I know that your team was nominated for an Emmy for outstanding playoff coverage. And uh, that I think just speaks volumes to how much hockey is growing on TNT in the last two seasons. Yeah, thank you. That's very kind. We have an amazing group, Alexis. Um, you know, first of all, it's just an honor to make that list, right? I mean, to see your, yourself against like shows like Sunday Night Football, um, you know, uh, the number one primetime television show for Get Sports for like what the last eleven or twelve years running. Yeah. So even to be nominated on that list is 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 an absolute honor. Um, but I will say, like we we have a dedicated, passionate team. Um, the one thing that that Turner Sports or WBD Sports, as they're branded now, did was they went out and got hockey people. Mm-hmm. We went out and got hockey passionate people hockey lifers um we are you know the camera guys that i work with every week are hand-picked the tape operators that the producers work with every week are hand-picked we put the best of the best together and when you have support from management like the way that we've had for two seasons um you know our our mantra from the from craig barry our, our ceo when you know on the very first zoom that we ever had his mantra to us was i want the best hockey shows that have ever been on TV. That's your, that was your marching orders. And we went out and executed. And, uh, you know, it's, it's very, very humbling to, to see that we were nominated for that, but it doesn't kind of surprise me because we have an unbelievably passionate team um, at all, at all positions, whether they be in front of the camera or, or behind the camera. And, uh, you know, very lucky to be, to be part of it. And I can't wait to see how high, we take the bar for cup final this mm-hmm. year. That's going to be exciting. I'm really excited to see it and to see that shot you were talking about too. Now I'm really going to look for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you talk about all the great people that you get to work with. And I know that your nickname is Chopper. And I'm kind of curious as to where that began. Who started that? Um, so uh, so my very first season working on the road uh, for the NHL on TSN, um, I was a, a production assistant AD. So I was a behind the scenes guy. I would, uh, you know, I would be responsible for gathering up all the footage and like putting all the highlights together, building all our opens, all our teases. And back then we didn't do them in edit suites. We actually did them in the tape department of the TV trucks on mm. site. So I would have this like hundred pound tape bag and 
I'd always be the guy like trying to get highlights from other trucks and other networks. And just like, basically I was like basically like a, you know, in my, this massive hockey bag, I, it was like a, a library of, 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 <laughs> of all great moments in NHL history. So that was my job. So we had a, we had a, uh, our host traveling host a guy by the name of John Wells. Um, he had nicknames for everybody. So like when he would work in the studio, um, if he would be writing with his pencil and he would snap it, there'd be a production assistant that would run up and hand him like a freshly sharpened pencil. And his name was Snapper because if he snapped his pencil, he needed another one. So for me, because I was responsible for editing and, and, and cutting up all the highlights, I became, it was, he, he called me Chop. That was my original name. Mm. But of course, as you know, in hockey, uh, everybody has a nickname and it either ends in an ER or a Y, right? So, um, you know, so they yes. just, you know, the, the method is you take the first four letters of their last name and add an ER or Y on the end of it. So I became Chopper. And it's funny to this, I mean, I've had this nickname since I was like 18, 19 years old, mm. never been able to shake it, whether I worked in Canada or the United States, it's just followed me around. And there's some classic moments where people will come into the truck and I'll be the only person sitting in the truck and they'll walk up to me and say, uh, do you know um, where I could find Paul Hemming? <laughs> and I'm like, that's me. And they're like, no, that's your name? I had no idea. I'm like, yeah, that's my name. So yeah, so it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 it, I don't think I'll ever shake it. I've had it forever. Um, and again, um, there's m most of the technicians that work uh, across uh, America don't even really know my real name. So that's pretty funny. <laughs> well, Paul, thank you so much for joining us today on Duckstream. It was so awesome to have you here and to learn more about what goes on behind the scenes on the TNT broadcast. Well, it was a pleasure. Thank you for the invite, Alexis. Um, um, yeah, um, I, as you can tell, I'm excited to, I'm passionate about what I do and I love talking about it. So, uh, thank you for allowing me to have this time with you. And good luck with the rest of the playoffs. Yeah. Awesome. Can't <laughs> wait. I'm, uh, I'm just waiting around to find out where I'm heading next. Uh, but it is a long run. Um, and, uh, I think the, the last team in the cup final this year could be June 18th. So I think, um, I'm in a, in a, it's all about pacing, so we'll get there. But, uh, but again, thanks for having me. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on Duckstream.